Hey there, Internet. I can't know for sure, but I'm going to go ahead and guess that you woke up this morning thinking, hey, if only there was a place I could hear a bunch of cool people talk about video games. Well, then we've got a show for you. From developer interviews to casual conversation, from exciting indie titles to fresh takes on your favorite games, this is the Gamers with Glasses Podcast. everybody, I'm Nate Schmidt, and I'm a contributing editor for Gamers with Glasses, and welcome to the Gamers with Glasses show. Gamerswithglasses.com is a gathering place for people who like to think about how games and play teach us, inspire us, and help us make sense of everyday life. I'm standing in for Christian Haynes this week as the podcast czar, because he had some other crap to do that he felt like was more important than we are. Um, just kidding. It's a birthday. A very important birthday in his life. Have a lovely time celebrating Christian. Um, it's both Halloween week and Squid week over at Gamers with Glasses. We have a Squid Game spoiler cast with Christian Edsel and Professor C. Young Kim, and a thought-provoking piece called Squid Game, or The Squeamish Pleasure of Asian Death, written by our very own Ed Chang, who joins us on this episode of the show. If I can pique your curiosity with a question, what does 2016's Battlefield 1 have to do with 2021's Squid Game, you'll definitely want to check it out. Um, we also have a new piece up from Juniper Lewis about Stardew Valley and Cottagecore, which all you October decorative gourd organizers aren't going to want to miss. And throughout this week, we'll carry on our auspicious tradition since, like, last year of writing about monsters for Halloween time. And we'll also inevitably carry on the Gamers with Glasses signature aspect of that tradition, which is having half the articles come out in November because we all have other full-time jobs to do. Without further ado, allow me to introduce this week's guest with glasses, Roger Whitson. Hello. And Ed Chang. Hello. All right. Thanks, guys. So what are we up to this week? How is it going? Um, maybe we could start with uh, start with Ed. Let's start with Ed. I want to oh, hear. Dear. Uh, yes, I want to hear what you're playing this week, Ed. Fill us in on all the gory, or perhaps not so gory, because it, it sounds like you're not a big horror guy. Um, I am not, so not. Gory details. Um, I like to joke, especially when I talk to folks around here. Uh, I live alone in an over a hundred year old house <laughs> in a colonial town in the middle of Southeast Ohio, uh, where there's a giant, uh, mental asylum on a hill nearby. I ain't playing nothing scary like <laughs> <by> myself. <laughs> there are plenty you live of... in like children of the corn. Exactly. Children of the corn is getting ready I... to happen. I have real ghosts to contend with. I don't need to deal with, uh, virtual ones. Um, uh, as I, I don't know, I don't play very much. It's the, it's, it's, it's the, it's the middle of the semester for me and it's just super busy, but, um, no, I okay. Still... Sounds good. Thanks. So Roger, what yeah. are you? <laughs> <laughs> no, um, 
I I still playing for some reason Animal Crossing, still limping along. My sister got me to play during the pandemic, and she's given up, and so I just keep pottering uh, pottering along. Uh, I know that there is an expansion coming out, so I'm looking forward uh, to that to see you know what other boring things they're adding. Uh, <laughs> but it might be fun. Um, and then uh, I'm teaching a, a grad independent study on um, queer games, and so. I can say that I've been playing a few independent games uh, recently, playing a game called Sweetheart, which is made by uh, a Black uh, creator, um, playing Dream Daddy, I think was this week's game. Um, so games that, you know, have been around for a little while, but it's nice to kind of revisit them and do something that can be kind of done either in an evening or in a couple of evenings. Um, and then... I still have my analog game, you know, I have a running tabletop game that I play over Zoom with friends, uh, play my role-playing game called Tellings, and so those are the things I've been playing. Oh, really cool. Have you found that um, playing TTRPGs over Zoom, like, I don't know, do you have thoughts over the whole pandemic situation about the relationship between in-person versus Zoom playing how how have you found that to go yeah i, I mean there's this interesting overlap i mean my first piece for the playing with the pen playing in the pandemic last year or was it two years ago last year um <laughs> right. was about you know was about <laughs> yeah was about playing rpgs uh over zoom um i think there's an interesting overlap because you know teaching online is actually no different than kind of gming online uh in a lot of ways uh, I think it takes a particular kind of personality and a willingness. Um, I have a couple of friends who started with us and then kind of stopped because they're just like, I, I don't want to do this. It's not the same. I don't have the same kind of feeling. But at the same time, a lot of us live in different places. And this is the only way we can really play uh, in in real time with each other. And so the great thing is I've known this group, this table for probably, I don't know, over two decades. And so a lot of the stuff that you might miss or that you might want in real life does translate because you can kind of imagine the person smiling a certain way or laughing a certain way or looking a certain way. Um, and that, I think, has done a lot to sort of fill in the gaps that that are missing online. Um, and then we've sort of figured out a rhythm you know we 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 basically use three platforms to uh play we use roll 20 for the map we use zoom for video and chat and we use slack for texting and so um we shuttle between those as a way to sort of sometimes there's like back back channel stuff happening on slack and then where people are talking on the screen so it keeps people from kind of like stepping over one another which is a problem with Zoom. Do you think there will be aspects of this that you'll continue after? I don't know. I mean, after? you know, I mean, I think a lot of people kind of have returned to normal, quote unquote, normal life. Um, but I think they we've, we've enjoyed playing. Uh, and so um, we will probably continue for indefinitely, depending on, you know, how things go. Um, but I... I, yeah, I mean, I think it has, you know, in my own professional life, pedagogical life, I, it has sharpened me 
uh, in in terms of like what it means to teach online and what it means to teach remotely and what it means to sort of how to like encourage, you know, some kind of participation. I really, really do think that online classes can work if we can convince everyone to be present, you know, in, in a lot of ways. Yeah. 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 I think something that I've actually kind of to my surprise found myself enjoying about um, playing RPGs over Zoom is that you can kind of hide the Zoom and just listen to the audio. And because a lot, me and a lot of the other members of the group that I normally play with like to do character voices that really is so fun especially on the nights when i'm the dm because for me it's like listening to uh well like a good podcast (laughs) (laughs) to get a little meta you know but but it's a little bit like i just get to enjoy the story to the degree where sometimes because it's all voices i almost forget that it's in a world of my imaginative devising like i'll they'll get to something and i'll be like what happens next and i'll go oh wait (laughs) i mean roll (laughs) you know Um, yeah that takes a that takes buy-in in a totally different way um but that sounds cool. That yeah, sounds it's great. been, I don't you know. You both were regular, you were both were regular role-playing gamers before the pandemic, right? Like, you were already doing it. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Have you gotten into any RPGs pandemic or, or I have not. Culture? I, uh, I have not. I just haven't, um, you know, sat down and gotten a group together. I think that's been the biggest issue for me. More than yeah. Anything. Yeah, I think it would be really fun to do something for the site where we got together and played something totally. sometimes. But totally. it's as it's so hard with like all the scheduling and everything in different right. time zones. But I bet we could work right. it out. I mean, I it just geeking, yeah. Go I ahead. was geeking out last week because my local bookstore got in a whole bunch of. Uh, I think we have this local bookstore in Spokane called a uh, Giant Nerd Books. And nice it's the coolest bookstore it has like comic books it has like sex books like old time porn books like <laughs> that are out of date or something like um, <laughs> very good <laughs> it has like science science books philosophy books like like science fiction like all this stuff poetry and like um the other day i went in and like it had a bunch of volumes from the role-playing game I played as when I was in high school, Riffs. Oh, cool. And I've never seen these anywhere else. And they were like, you know, three bucks a pop because they were used. Right. It was totally awesome. And so I got a bunch of them. <laughs> um, so maybe I'll play that at some point. Oh, that'd be great. Rope us in. We'll yeah. do a throwback. We'll, some, yeah. we'll do throwback Thursday in Riffs. That'd be awesome. we could do because i've been looking at some of the first edition of dungeons and dragons on just the digitized versions online for fun just because i think the art it's fun to watch the evolution of the art from the first to the fifth edition and uh it would be kind of funny and interesting to lean into that uh framework and see if you could still do interesting things with it, which I'm sure because this is the internet, like millions of people are already doing uh, because everyone's already done everything <laughs> at least once on the internet. Okay. 
Ed, to keep you on the hot seat just for another minute, please sure. tell me about Dream Daddy. What happens in Dream the video game Daddy. called Dream Daddy? Please. Um, it is a dating simulator. Mm-hmm. I don't play very many of them um, where you... The basic story is that you, uh, as a daddy, um, and your daughter move to a new town. Um, The partner uh, has died, and uh, your partner has died, and you've moved to start a new life. And uh, and then you meet a, uh, I don't know, I think it's six or seven uh, other dads in the neighborhood, and the idea, I guess, is you figure out which ones you want to date um, and you uh, woo them, talk to them, you know, all that sort of typical stuff. And then um, I think you go on three dates uh, or if you can, you have to go up, you have to get to three dates and then it ends kind of with the, like, you know, we'll be together, that sort of thing. Uh, there is no sex. So, I mean, I guess it's all implied. Uh, I guess. Uh, so I find it kind of uh, pointless, but I guess I'm not the target audience, really. <laughs> so, okay, so um, wait, wait, there's something rich there. So then, like, what would be... Because I don't think I have ever played a dating sim, like, a single time. So mm. what kind of things are you looking for? I mean, if that's a genre that's interesting to you... Uh, I mean, you know? I think, like, most dating sims are... Or like even like the dating mechanics in exist you know existing games RPGs or whatever is this sort of I don't know it's see it's very twee to a certain degree right because it's about like you know dating the high school girl or high school boy or I mean there's a dating simulator now I forgot what it's called but it's like you know you're dating various random inanimate objects that have like personalities and things like that. Um, so it's a whole panoply of things that I don't really get into. Um, I guess for me, you know, because they want to keep it kind of rated PG, there isn't any sex, right? And so um, this is a ratings thing. This is a target audience thing. And so for me, I'm like, well, if I'm going to spend all this time trying to get this person, I want it to get a little parny, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, right. yeah, you're working, why not? You're working it. You, you want to get something <laughs> Exactly, exactly. And there are games that do that. Um, uh, I think there's a gay dating simulator. I forgot what it's called, but insert like gay sex pun. I think it's like something like coming out on top or something like that. (laughs) Oh, boy. boy. I think that's what it's called. But it's the same kind of thing. You're a college student and you're like basically hooking up with guys and things like that. And that does get, you know, more explicit. Um, and so, uh, yeah, but, um, but I teach dream daddy because it is accessible and it was really, really popular because it was, um, about, you know, sort of foregrounding, you know, queer, uh, uh, relationships. Um, but, uh, it's a really interesting game because it is kind of too wholesome. And there's something about that, that I think is both fun and cute, but at the same time, again, sort of like, you know, I don't know why I would spend all this time doing this, but, um, and then of course, like most dating sims that I've played, like it ends in usually monogamous relationships, right? And so you're like, okay, well, that's a limitation. Uh, but, um, but yeah, I think, you know, that's, that's what that's about. And then of course you sort of 
you know, there are at least various different body types and there are various different, you know, personality types and, you know, things like that. And so, um, for, you know, even if though it's only six or seven other men, you know, there are sort of archetypes that you can sort of see, uh, in the game, but yeah, it's sweet, but that's about it. (laughs) (laughs) That's cool. That's cool. It's a genre that I'll have to do some investigating of. At, sure, uh, sure. At 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 some point, um, <laughs> okay. So Roger, I don't know if there's a way to necessarily pivot from that to. Yeah, I don't think there is. What you've been playing. So why don't you dive right into the <laughs> so, dungeons? Yeah, I only. So I only have a little bit to say about about this game because I've mostly been playing the new Metroid game, but I can't talk about that right now. So we'll talk about that later. But I've been kind of <laughs> dipping my dipping my toe into the Diablo 2 Resurrected remake. Um, and I'm, this is my first Diablo game. I've never played Diablo before. Um, for whatever reason, when they were first coming out, uh, I just kind of missed them. Um, but I, I was a big fan of... I don't know if you all have played Torchlight at all. It's kind of the Oh, that sounds indie so familiar. ...of Diablo that came out a few years ago. I think I have played that. I think it's shorter too. Like you just basically go into a dungeon until you're at the 50th level and you fight a monster or something. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I just lo- like I, the thing I love about these games. It's I don't know if it's a tactile. It's it is kind of there is kind of a gauntlet esque element to it where you're just kind of getting loot and you're just getting lots of loot and there's there's just something very pleasing about getting more loot. Get your loot. I get. It's very capitalist. I know. Yeah, it's a cruel, um, right? Like, yeah, you know, it's it's get your it's, stuff. But it's just, I love it. I just am addicted to it. I get addicted <laughs> to it very fast. What capitalism gets addictive? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I just like killing things and taking their stuff. That's what I like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think you know, it 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 makes no bones about what it is, right? And yeah, so, totally. And, and there is something very pleasurable about. Like that, like Diablo. I remember playing Diablo a lot. I haven't played it in ages, but I remember it's the pleasure is in its predictability and its sort of repeatability. Very simple. Um, There's simplicity to it. Yeah, and that simplicity, you know, it doesn't mean that it's like not you know dynamic, but mostly it's like you know, can I beat this level? And what stuff can I find? And you know, the random item generator is really fun sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Running back and forth <clears throat> from these hordes of things, right, right, that may or may not be able to kill you. Um, and uh, yeah, I've been playing the barbarian, which is really fun in terms of hand-to-hand combat and just kind of getting in the middle of things and. Um, so, like, I didn't know, like, uh, Ed talked a little bit about, well, one of the things that's been annoying, so, like, this is one right before I switched over to Metroid, is they were having all of these server problems, which I, oh, I heard about death that. knell for that. Yeah, like, for about a week, I couldn't log on to it, so I was like, well, okay, I'll just play Metroid, um, which worked, um, but it meant that, like, I didn't get as far into the game as I wanted to, so, um, but I didn't know, like, it's, it's funny, I enjoyed the game, did I know Ed played a little bit. Uh, Nate, did you ever play any of the Diablo games? I am just like so sadly behind. Here's here's a really disappointing thing. Here's a really disappointing fact that I'll tell you, which I feel like this is a very good sort of space for. 
is that I have read more about Diablo than I have played <laughs> Diablo. <laughs> like, yeah, I got. I bet re- I have too. Yeah. I bet I have too. Yeah, I got really into the history of of RPGs, and it kind of started with uh, John Peterson's book about tabletop RPGs, and then kind of grew into like reading more about sort of the early history of uh, you know computer RPGs, and then into like Diablo and whatnot. And um, so yeah, I've read I've read about it. So <laughs> sort of like you say when somebody mentions a movie that everybody should have seen, like I've read about it, but no, it's, I haven't. It's actually. so interesting. I think to compare uh, games like Diablo with like more complicated like old school isometric role playing games because there is something very basic about the stories that come out of the Diablo games like it's just like there's this problem in a dungeon go kill it and you're like okay like that's just kind of the whole story (laughs) whereas like you know you looking back at like Baldur's Gate or like even the newer ones uh divinity and uh pillars of eternity they're much more uh crafted and elegant um and in my case in my opinion interesting but um you know i you know diablo's not supposed to be that so that's cool right yeah i mean it's the closest to kind of like you know i never really played like you know i mean i did a little bit obviously but like doom or any of those kind of like you know, first person kind of just like trying to mow as much stuff down as possible in each level. But Diablo is kind of like the fantasy version kind of of that where you're just, you know, I always play a mage. So, you know, it's always just like just burning through all the hordes that are trying to attack you. So it's really fascinating to me. And I wonder if this is something that maybe is um, sim- well, symptomatic of kind of when I grew up, right? Like, um, and kind of the masculinities that were available to me in the 90s. Um, But I remember in college, very much having this kind of like, obsession with like, these types of games, like the Doom games and fighting games. And it was the, it was like this weird kind of, uh, kind of uh, situation where I would spend all day, uh, at school learning my stuff reading my cont or whatever and then i would like go home and like unplug and there was like a kind of blankness about just how many things you could kill just a kind of like like zoning out into this this space where you could just destroy everything and it was really pleasurable and it's 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 weird to think about that because like i don't even really look for that in games anymore but I feel like there was something about where I was in college and like a lot of my anxieties and a lot of my ideas about needing to control things that for whatever reason, these games really gave me. Right. Well, I mean, it fits most kind of like the fantasies of power and control that games often give us, right. Or give players and, and I, you know, there is nothing more powerful or more controlly than if you can just, you know, um, destroy, you know, your enemies with the flick of a, you know, button or, you know, yeah, yeah. It's pretty satisfying, though. It's pretty satisfying. <laughs> <laughs> I actually get the same thing from Tetris, which I realize mm. is weird, but 
I just the way you were describing using some of those games, Roger, just absolutely made me think about ways that I have used and still, in fact, use Tetris, which is funny because in Tetris, you will lose. I mean, the whole point of Tetris is that you have no hope of of getting to the end there's not an end there's probably a variation where there's an end i don't know uh i'm a little bit behind on my my tetris variations but it's the same kind of feeling of like i don't know being able to in some way disengage from the things that i've been worrying about all day long have you felt like diablo 2 the sort of reboot has any of that for you or or like you said is that like not even a feeling you're interested in anymore yeah i don't know that i even am in the same space like i don't think i have the same i mean i uh, it's some of it but um yeah it it doesn't like i don't so i know there are people who still play a lot tons of fighting games but i don't i don't tend to play those anymore um I do first person shooters like I read I played Deathloop and which was fun but like I think those shooters have become more uh complex over time right like and I think it, it sort of has stripped away those like, sort of power control fantasies and so I don't know I don't know why I've had I guess I had moments with Diablo 2 doing that but it's it if it's anything it's sort of more deflated than it used to be and I don't know if that's because my interests in games have changed if my relationship to that whole paradigm has changed or what i i don't know it doesn't it doesn't do the same thing though yeah that makes sense i mean that sounds nice (laughs) 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 sounds really nice i mean i think i mean i think yes i think this is a thing like tetris or i mean you know i don't like I'm, I'm not a big sort of proponent of like the whole notion of flow right this idea that um, from from I can never say his name Cheeks Minihall Minihall something like that the the psychologist who talks about flow which has been taken up by games and game makers and developers this idea of like you're trying to get your player into this state where things are not are hard enough that it's interesting but not too hard that you know it it knocks them out or it's not too easy because that's boring and so there's that sort of you know, when we talk about playing and getting into the zone, that's basically what it is. And I think a lot of these games that have very simple kind of, um, I don't know, action loops, right? Like you don't have to do a whole lot, but the game could just keep, you know, kind of churning along. Whereas more complicated games or more games that ask you to make a lot of decisions about like how to set things up or what your tactics are or, you know, what equipment you're going to use. I think that's part of, you know, the, the 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 enjoyment of playing a game where you kind of can just sit down and mow through things as opposed to really have to especially like when you're done with a long day and you're you know you have decision fatigue to begin with and you don't even know what don't even know what you want to eat for dinner so you just eat like crackers whatever and yeah yep to sit yeah to sit down i to never a... do that what do you do? <laughs> <laughs> oh no no we we call it a crude you know a call it a like uh what is it called uh crap no i can't even remember you know like a a, a farmer's or a planter's dinner or something oh, right, right? Right, like, right right you know um <laughs> Uh, if we want to make it bougie. Uh, but like, you know, when you sit down to a game that asks you to make all those decisions, sometimes you're just like, nope, I just really want to, you know, zone out, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. 
I've definitely felt that. You know when I still feel that all the time is uh, Super Smash Brothers. Just oh, wow. if I'm the right character in Super Smash Brothers, it's exactly just that feeling of like that's where I am because that's the I mean that's the game to sort of I guess date my gaming life like that that's the game that I learned on I mean that was the game where I went to a friend's house and somebody handed me a Nintendo 64 controller and said push all the buttons until you figure out what they do because they all do something and it's a little bit different every time and uh I don't know that I I can I can respect that feeling of sort of flowing into something familiar into something like links buttons just fit me like a glove. Like I know exactly what everything does and how it's going to work. But it sounds like, Ed, you, you maybe have some reservations about that idea. Are you interested in kind of thinking about those or talking well, about Well, I mean, it's my general reservation about, uh, you know, any the the fantasy of immersion or whatever, because I think we, we use that language as a way to say this is why games are powerful or interesting or, you know, whatever, like, you know, in, you know, important emotional or um, artistic experiences and things like that. And I'm one of those people that's, uh, uh, that is really pushes back against that. I think games can be engrossing, which is what like uh, scholars like uh, Salen and Zimmerman talk about. Um, but they talk about the immersive fallacy being this idea that games are supposed to transport you just like novels, right? Novels are supposed to sort of transport you to, you know, a different, you know, plane of existence. But the reality is that then covers over things like, you know, what the medium is doing, what the mechanics are doing, what, um, what are the values and norms and problems that are in the game? Because if you can say, oh, it's just, it's another way to say it's just a game. And so I don't have to worry about like if it's super racist or if it's about killing lots of, you know, uh, marginalized people or whatever. And I think that's something. Yeah, I mean, I want games to be engrossing, but I also just want to sort of push back against the idea that that, you know, games do this thing where you can, you know, short of the holodeck you know, we really aren't going to be sort of like fully immersed uh, in a game world. And then the irony of the holodeck is that every single, you know, holodeck episode in the Star Trek universe is about the holodeck breaking. And I know. Yeah. Why do and they have any technology on that show? Like, it's just like... <laughs> but that's the point. It's that it's, it's the holodeck reminding you that you are in a fantasy, right? And so that's that's the tension is that you know people want to use this as a way to I don't know um, to 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 let games do certain things that you know they probably don't do I don't know it's 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 just a pet peeve of mine. <laughs> I'm struck by like this question of fantasy because it's also this question of like well what's the fantasy right and right what is that fantasy what are the politics of that fantasy you know all of that stuff. I'm I'm reminded of my obsession with Grand Theft Auto is very similar to that when I was in the 90s and I was I was wanting to just blow up a lot of cops with a tank like I loved it and and it and it's like sure that was pleasurable for me at that moment because like of the certain sort of like space that a lot of white men who were in college in the late 90s were experiencing which was a lot of misogyny a lot of um, obsession over violence and control and um, 
So like I think I think that it's important to interrogate that stuff and not yeah. I think there's a certain kind of universality to concepts like flow that like sure. it doesn't mean that you can't be in that kind of space that I've been in where it's like everything seems seamless and like right. you're kind of weirded out like and it just means that like that the, there are certain reasons for that and it's good to be reflective about that. Right. I always ask the question like who gets to be immersed in the game, right? Or who is always constantly knocked out of the game because suddenly you encounter something that is like super violent or gruesome or misogynist or, you know, or homophobic or whatever, because that will take you out of the game if you're one of those, you know, if you belong to a community that that's the target of. And so um, because most games are imagined for a very small, you know, again, sort of fantasy player Um, We often don't, you know, we often run into those sort of problems all of the time. And this is true of a lot of media as well. You know, who gets to enjoy the game? Who gets to have a frictionless experience uh, in the game world or, you know, narrative world or whatever? Yeah, I can. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) no, I, I well, I think that that's. I can see how this whole kind of flow idea almost posits like a kind of er gamer, like that that there is one kind of gamer who has a desire for a particular thing. And it's this. And once we have that all figured out, we'll have sort of play like we've solved it. Play theory. We're, it's, we're done. You know, we did it. But I've also was thinking sort of listening to you both talk through this about and I know we already said like horror is not necessarily your 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 thing, uh, Ed. But so I've been playing Amnesia: The Dark Descent, which is like, I mean, if anybody's listening to this who's already into horror games, you're like you're like rolling your eyes, like oh he played the one horror game that everyone's played. But I do I like it because it's Halloween time and mm-hmm. it's you know it, it I I really like horror games. I like um, horror movies. Uh, I'm listeners of the podcast will know that I've dropped a, a death metal reference from time to time. Um, these are just, these are things that I, I have very personal reasons for taking a lot of, of pleasure in that. I enjoy this feeling of kind of having my, my, like my, my guts clenched, you know, in some way, but, but I wonder the degree to which that is, a kind of flow that's also bringing in. So like, obviously we already have kind of, there's a separation between there are people who are going to seek out the kind of experience that a game like amnesia gives you, which for the record is like, you're in this big, very Gothic uh, sort of setting and you're walking around and you don't remember how you got there and you're finding letters from your past self explaining to you that narrates this whole story as you're going through. And the game at the very beginning, this is actually, I think, a really compelling part of this that you can forget about if you move past it too quickly. At the very beginning, has a little splash screen that comes up and says, you don't play Amnesia to win. You're not playing to win. Don't try to fight anything. Don't try to muscle your way through things. In almost every case, you won't be successful. What you're doing, and it literally says this, immerse yourself in it. It explicitly calls for you to 
like let your ideas about victory about domination about power over the situation go and sort of release yourself into this situation where you have to run and hide and i think that that i can see how that can get pretty complicated and tricky in the in the framework that we've been laying out but there's also something about that feeling i don't know that feeling of just pure uh, you know i'm going to say affect and i don't want to say sure. affect but, but 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 that that thing feeling that it is affect yeah. right it that affect. takes over you and yeah. it's it, it absolutely sort of it what I, the thing i love is sort of like what roger was talking about before it doesn't leave room for anything else it doesn't leave room in my head for all of the like real grad school precarity problems that I'm constantly worrying about. It's just being sort of in this experience where I can let go of other things. So I don't know. I don't know if that sounds like flow to either of you, if that sounds like something that definitely needs to be interrogated more. Uh, but I, there is some relationship here though, I think between immersion and, you know, the, the, the gothic right i mean the whole idea sure. of the gothic as as um like in in poe's philosophy of composition like to produce an effect the goal is to produce an effect and that's that's the center. well so i mean i mean let's like extend that the gothic or the romantic right like the capital r romantic or the capital s sublime right like that's all that's immersion like that's what those people were talking about is that you are going to be so overwhelmed by the beauty of this landscape or the power of God or, you know, whatever that it will take over all of your senses. And, you know, people have critiqued that as like, who gets, again, who gets to do that or who gets to access that or who gets, or whose version of that is the quote unquote correct one. I'm always interested in like, like I'm not, I'm like little eye immersion. I don't have a problem with, I think we can use that as a sort of general term, but I think what I sort of rail against is this notion that we often sell games as as these sort of, again, like you were saying, universal experiences that kind of then we don't really sort of pick in, we don't get into some of the sort of nit details or nitty gritty. Um, I'm really interested in horror because I think, you know, what if I make the suggestion that what's, what you're actually doing is you are, reveling in you know you're good at genre for example right because the when you go to see a horror movie or when you read a not horror novel or when you read a play a horror game i think the last horror game i played in earnest and this is going to date me is, is silent hill which is great right like amazing and you know terrifying and like all these sorts of things but what you're doing is you're like, you have genre expectations that you've learned over time. And then you willingly, you know, suspend disbelief and you say, okay, I'm going to give over to this. I'm going to give over to this world and I'm going to wait for, you know, the music to get really high and, and, you know, piercing, or I'm going to wait for the jump scare. or I'm going to wait for, you know, I know I can't walk down this, this dark, you know, shadowy hallway without something happening. And there is a, there is a sort of like, you know, both anticipatory pleasure in that and also 
pleasure in you you having these genre conventions confirmed for you i don't know maybe that's too heady um or weird but that's the way i think about it uh uh in a in a sort of different way as well one of the reasons i really love horror is because i feel and again this is not without context with my own sort of background and my own whiteness and all that stuff but like especially when you're looking at you know, a director like Jordan Peele or um, people who are reflecting on the relationship between, um, you know, horror and sexuality or horror and race. I love the way in which my own, I don't know, if it's, it's kind of a masochistic thing. I love the way that my own, like, prejudices become so present. <laughs> Like they just like they like rise up like it's like in a lot of these films, you're forced to confront stuff. And, you know, and like, oh, my gosh, I'm a racist. Like it's like it's it's just like in you. <laughs> Podcast right? and it title just comes out, <laughs> you know, and like I think that's really powerful yeah. when it's yeah. used in a particular way um, because you can't ignore it. Um, so. But that's, I mean, again, that's that's the nuance. That's the wonderful thing about something like Get Out or or whatever. Um, whereas something along the lines of like, you know, why why I don't know what the current horror you know shtick is, right? But for a really long time, and probably still continues, it's about home invasion, you know, which which is a different kind of horror, and it's a horror about people who have homes <laughs> you know in suburbia usually and like you know so like whose fears are we you know are we sort of you know addressing here um and who gets to overcome you know the bad guy or or the the thing that's causing the horror um i just keep thinking of like you know todd harper and a bunch of other people you know we call called games designed experiences and I think there is something about that where like when you go to see a good play or hear a good piece of music, like we can get swept up in them, but that's because someone someone or someone's have done their job really well. And also we have decided to key into these things in particular ways. Um, I might make the suggestion that horror games are always constantly knocking you out of immersion because the whole point of fear is that you want to just turn the computer off or run away or or just hit quit or pause or whatever. And that's, I think, really fascinating because that isn't immersion, but it is immersion, right? And so I think there's that, a really lovely tension there. Whereas like playing something like Diablo, you're really only knocked out when you die or or when you're you know mouse button finger gets tired you know or you know something like that right or your your inventory is too full right and so there's there are different ways that these games kind of keep your attention and or play with your attention it's a I remember yeah sorry oh, roger oh oh okay just real fast because this relates directly to to what ed was saying um it, from what you were saying about tension and genre conventions there's this really nice experience I have 
when you go down that dark hallway that you know you're not supposed to go down that is in the weirdest possible most backhanded way comforting because i know what to expect i know it will be bad <laughs> like I, I know that the the feelings it will be intended to provoke will be frightening but i know like there's this way of kind of leaning into in games that choose to do this because i, I think there are games that sub very intentionally sort of subvert uh these kinds of horror trips as well but in in a game like amnesia uh, the first amnesia game which is like just like yeah you're in a great big like haunted mansion and there's stuff chasing you um there there is almost a sense of a kind of delightfully perverse comfort that 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 comes from kind of opening that last door you know in the hallway and you've opened four other doors and it was fine so you know like door number 5 you know it's going to be surprising you know it's going to be a sort of like shocking and maybe loud probably loud but 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 you also you know though you know what to expect you know to some degree that you don't know what you're getting into um See, i hate jump scares so <laughs> I, I think they're the cheapest form of Aren't pathos they bad? i know it's so and, trashy uh, it's yeah. so trashy to, to to like them and yet I'm right. on the podcast. Uh, no, <laughs> no, no, that, that's, that's uh, neither, neither here nor there. Roger, I'm so sorry. I, I cut you off. Oh, that's okay. I was just going to comment on this question of like uh, the sort of anti-immersion that Ed mentioned and remembering how crappy the controls in Resident Evil 2 are. Oh my God. Like this idea that like, it's not just that like it's scary and you're in a weird thing. It's like the, perspectives a little off yep. that you feel like you're going forwards when you go backwards and you have to aim just right and like the sloppiness of the characters is an essential part of the experience too well and you're i mean i think this is the thing is like you know we're willing to overlook a lot of things and we're that willingness of again disbelief or whatever you want to call it like our, our willingness to participate in this design experience does, you know, basically soften around the edges that are, you know, that do stick out if it's a bad, if they're bad mechanics or if it's glitchy or if it doesn't look particularly great. I think as we move, as we continue to, you know, I don't know, heroify like photorealism and like all these sorts of things in games, I think that sort of, you know, becomes a different thing. We start, like nitpicking about stuff when you know when you go back to like you know older games that couldn't do those things they they got at you know these feelings or emotions or whatever in in very different ways i think you know the other game that i've actually been been playing this week that i think relates to that to some degree is um mundon or Mundown, as they as they say it in uh, in because you're in Switzerland, um, and it's a it's a sort of I won't say black and white. It's grayscale like horror game that's set in Switzerland, and you you know you it's it's set in a rural area. You hear your grandfather's barn burned down, and you have to go investigate it. And it turns out that there were perhaps more. Uh, more than natural, one might even say supernatural forces at play in the 
in the burning of the barn. But the thing that a lot of people have commented on about it that I find really interesting is that it's a, you know, it's, it's a unity game, which if, since I'm interested in indie games, I've played a fair handful of, of games uh, that were made in unity. I'm starting to kind of recognize the trees. I can kind of tell like when, Oh, that's from that like asset um uh pack a little bit but uh in in mundown what what they did was they um drew the um surfaces by hand and so there's this idea of working kind of both within and against the constraints of your medium at the same time because the shapes are familiar but the surfaces less so but also this idea of immersion, this idea that this time what we're going to do is it's not just about the fact that like, ah, like you, you know, you walked outside and um, sort of frightening figures were, were chasing you around, which does happen a fair <laughs> amount. Um, but, but even more than that, the idea that there is with kind of all of the baggage that this entails, there's kind of this uh, attempt of a of a total artwork, right? I'm not going to say the German because if I do, I'm going to have to kick myself off the podcast for being a pretentious jerk. But uh, like, it, you know, there's this idea of of um, being sunk completely into something to the degree that the entire world around you has been drawn by hand. And, and then is also literally designed, if I could use just the worst wordplay you've ever heard, to, to draw you you in, right? With the with the sense of, of being afraid of these really weirdly scary haystack dudes. I don't know how it is. You'd think that haystack dudes would be silly, but the haystack dudes are really scary in this game. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. The, the idea of just having like not just it's not just the attempt to emotionally sort of get you and immerse you but to like completely take over the world by drawing it for you by hand and then sort of putting someone's hand-drawn idea of what's frightening as this world that you have to traverse has has been again because i like that kind of stuff it's been like a nice halloween e you know there's kind of an interesting way i was thinking about what you were saying and with regards to immersion and some of the stuff Ed was saying earlier about the sublime. And there is kind of a displacement, a displacement that occurs, I think, in a lot of these these things where it's like you're confronted with something that is overwhelming. Um, and then and then that experience seeks to form you into a particular type of person. Um, and I think horror does it to a degree. I think the sublime and these immersive environments where even if it's like, you know, you're immersed, you can be a better player, be a good player or whatever. Like it's, it's really about sort of like, this is the type of person that you are. Um, and I'm going to force you into that category by like totally overwhelming your, your, your senses, right. To the point where you can't focus on anything but this. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, I can I can see that, which is not to say like I, I will. I don't know, as like all I think all the other websites said. So maybe it doesn't even bear re-saying like Mundown is a really cool game. It, it's, it's like it looks really good and and is exactly that kind of 
um, handcrafted, almost like the idea of the haunted thing that you get at the antique store and you bring home, like the haunted sepia tone photograph. Uh, uh, I don't know. Is is a nice aspect. This of reminds it. me of um, I played a indie game last year called Before I Forget, um, and it's a game about dementia, um, and uh, but it has some of those sort of like uh, horror-y sort of suspense kind of codes and. Um, even though it, you know, it's, it, you, it takes place mainly in this like house, um, that is, is generally, you know, looks like a normal house, but, um, it does have a kind of like horror feel to it because both the main character and you sometimes don't know what's happening and, or are surprised or scared or, you know, whatever. And so, um, I find that to be, you know, maybe that's an interesting kind of crossover that horror can can also be a way to sort of transmit other kinds of experiences other than just, you know, being scared. I mean, I, I if my book ever gets done, you know, I have a I have a a spiel about like, you know, everyone really loved Gone Home because, you know, queer representation and all that sort of stuff. And I keep asking the question, like, why is this a horror game, though? Right? Like, that seems incommensurate with the fact that if this is supposed to be good, positive representation of queer people, then why is this game about the horror of the discovery of these things? Right? And so... Um, and so, the abandoned house, the, the, the idea that yeah. it's all abandoned. Yeah. So I won't say more because I don't want people to take my idea and write it before me. But, <laughs> um, but no. So I'm, I mean, I think that's the thing is like sometimes we use the conventions of horror to do things and then, you know, and then play with them or subvert them like, you know, Jordan Peele does or, you know, other kinds of things. Um, um, you know, I've been told that like horror movies like Saw are doing some similar things to that, but I won't watch them because yeah. <laughs> they freak me out and gross me out. But. <laughs> it kind of reminds <laughs> me of um, The Taking of Deborah Logan is one movie that comes to my mind that sort of uses, um, uh, not uses, presents ideas about dementia in some really, what I find to be compelling ways um having had a fair number of uh folks in my family who who have suffered from it and knowing that there's genetically a pretty good chance that that's part of my future uh as well um or actually just this year uh so the the studio uh blumhouse which does a lot of horror films but not exclusively horror films um uh, does a thing every year in October called Blumhouse presents where they do like four, um, they would be direct to TV movies if like direct to TV movies were still a thing. Uh, but, but one of them, so instead they're direct to Amazon movies and one of them, uh, this year is called the manor and it leans into that as well. It's uh, about a lady who actually chooses to check herself into an assisted living facility. And then, not just her, but all the other residents too are like, yes, 
there is something here that's not supposed to be here. There is some kind of maleficent presence that's uh, around, but the the movie has this really interesting kind of critique of institutionalization where they end up sort of left to their own devices to figure this out because they are deemed preeminently unbelievable witnesses, you know, and um, it's, you know, and it's also like an hour and 15 minutes long. So how can you go wrong with it? <laughs> Don't scare me. I have to go to bed soon. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly well speaking of going to bed although the listener may not necessarily be hearing this at the same time as some of us who are on eastern standard time are recording it uh would either of you be interested in talking a little bit about some of the non-game related things that we might suggest to our to our listeners um, maybe let's see. I think I we put Ed on the spot first for games. So maybe Roger, do you want to sure. just make some non-game suggestions on our yeah. gaming podcast where we've uh, am... mostly where I'm pretty sure I drew the discussion completely away from video games like 20 minutes ago anyway. <laughs> but, <laughs> Whatever. What, what do you That's think, awesome. Roger? Um, I have been watching uh, a couple of movies by Ben Wheatley, who's this uh, British horror uh director um he's mostly known for like a pretty good although i haven't seen it so i can't say that it's good um adaptation of jg ballard's high rise with uh tom hiddleston that's kind of his most well-known film um but the two that i saw recently i just really loved uh the first one is a field a field in england which is i think it's streaming both on hulu and on amazon prime and uh, In the Earth is his newest film, which is streaming on uh, Amazon, on, sorry, Hulu. Um, he recently did a really kind of ho-hum adaptation of Daphne Dumars' Rebecca. Um, so that's on Netflix, so I, I wouldn't recommend it. It's okay. Um, but these two films are actually amazing. Um, a Field in England is basically about, it takes place during the English Civil War, and it's about these people tripping off of mushrooms. Like, he's really obsessed with people tripping off of mushrooms. Um, tripping off of mushrooms and, like, getting involved in some kind of murder mystery. And they end up killing a lot of e- each other. And it's just a kind of bizarre psychological horror story. Um, low budget. So it's very interesting in a lot of ways. And um, the uh, the special effects are all low budget and interesting. And um, The second movie... Um, and this is the more recent one. The one I probably would recommend this one slightly more than a field in England is actually in the earth. Um, another folk horror film, which is sort of like this contemporary apocalypse in which the earth is sending a virus to, to destroy civilization. Um, and, too soon sorry uh, see that was my <laughs> I know, okay it has a lot of, he wrote this during the pandemic. Yeah. Right? And that was my thing. It's been sitting so on my Hulu list for like, a week now no two weeks now and i've been thinking about it but it's where to be too topical so convince me it's not yeah, too topical it's very no it's very topical i well, mean it's not the virus stuff is a little it's just kind of it's kind of in the background slightly. okay it's not like like in not, my like, life you not, mean i don't right, i'm not yeah, actively totally. sick right now but, but totally. it's in the background at the grocery store 
But at some point they decide that they have to like connect to the earth in order to stop the apocalypse. And to do that, they have to take, of course, psychedelics, because what else would you do to connect to the earth except trip? Um, so it's just delightful, funny, interesting folklore. If you're into that, uh, like if you're into films like Midsummer, uh, very similar in its sort of approach to things. So I just need to tell because people in podcast land won't have seen it. When Roger said Midsummer, Ed and I instantly had completely <laughs> opposite reactions. Ed was like immediately shaking nope, the head nope, and nope, I was nope, immediately nope. <laughs> like You're nodding like, yep, vigorously. Yep, yep. <laughs> no, thank you. No, thank you. I have an active enough imagination. I don't need to oh my gosh. see it realized. Oh, um, and this is about to say, I watch horror movies occasionally, but I just, you know, but not really when I'm by myself. These, or, both know, of yeah. these films, I would say, Ed, these aren't like gory, like horrible films. They're more like suspense, psychological kind of thriller stuff where you don't really know who the good guy is. People go crazy and end up killing each other kind of randomly. It's a little weird, but um, and trippy, but it's not, uh, you know, like something like Saw or anything like that. Right, right. Well, like I, I always say, like, um, I'm, you know, stressed out most of my life, so my time, so I just don't need to be stressed out more myself. I get it. But that's just me. That's totally me. That's fair. Okay, so so with that said, um, Ed, your your notes when I asked if you know if there was possibility that our non-game recommendations for this particular podcast could be a little bit scary assuming that i can finish the audio editing and everything by the 31st which is a little bit of a a coin toss right uh, right. already your words were the chair parentheses (laughs) a different kind of scary it's pretty scary (laughs) it really is yes and uh as academics uh the chair will hit you in totally different ways than i think perhaps non-academics will understand but i do think that and i have i have friends who run the gamut who loved it and uh but loved it but hated it I have friends who hated it because they were like, it's really dumb, um, you know, all this sort of stuff. But I watched it and I was like interested, but also like really deeply, uh, you know, triggered, activated, like in a lot of ways. And so a very different kind of horror, very different kind of existential, like, you know, dread, um, which I think is sort of uh, a fascinating thing. Um I will make a recommendation. I think uh, one of the ways that I do watch horror, ironically enough, is I like watching um, YouTube reactors react to horror. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's great. there is something about them that acts as a mediator, right? Uh, first of all, most of the videos are cut down. So, like, you're not watching, like, every single thing that happens. And then also their reactions help kind of um soften whatever the heck is happening or whatever is going on so i will say that i have watched you know some horror movies that i would never have watched on my own but because you know a youtuber is watching it you know that i like or you know whatever so i think that's you know maybe that's a chicken's way of of, of watching (laughs) no no it's a way of giving like that it's it's like being in company and and that that is a thing that's fun right that is a big part of it yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, anytime, if I go see a horror movie, it's usually because I'm 
with a group of people that is like, this is what we're doing. And so you can come or not come, but we want you to come. And so usually then I end up, you know, going to do it. So regretting it. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the chair and then obviously, you know, the only other things I've watched recently that were in the horror genre would be like the second season of Lock and Key just uh, dropped on Netflix, which is yeah. sort of supernatural teen romance it's by horror. It's by the son of Stephen King. Oh, really? I didn't know yep, that. the writer is. Yep, Joe Okay. Hill. Well, then the setting makes total sense because I was like, this fascination with New England is weird. And, you know, <laughs> colonial America, what's happening here? And uh, stuff like that. Um, and then, of course, you know, Squid Game is on everyone's mind right now. Um, and so those are the most recent things that I've, I've imbibed. It sure is on the brain, isn't it? It sure is on the collective brain. Man. All right. Well, you already wrote about it, so I won't make you rehash the whole rehash the whole thing. But everybody who's listening, go read Ed's squid game piece so you can really and listen to the spoiler cast yes and listen to the spoiler cast because um for all the spoilers because you've all watched it anyway because everybody's what so the thing i'm really excited about because i love terrible things is the prospect that was raised in entertainment news last week of squid game related merchandise Oh my god. Like Squid Game merchandising, I'm just I I shudder to even like are there action figures? Like are there what is the plan to to sell Squid Game stuff other than maybe I I will honestly probably it will be homemade, but I will probably do a Squid Game Halloween costume simply because I already own a fencing mask. And so because I already own a fencing mask, I am like just a couple pieces of painter's tape away from and a hoodie from like having a costume. And I don't really like putting work into costumes, but my son will expect me to wear something to accompany him. So I was going to buy a squid game. I was going to be zero zero one, but I decided uh, too late um, and uh, it wouldn't have arrived in time to wear it. Then there's the other worry of like, will I get beat up? Because this is, you know, I guess it depends on who you pick as, you know, as your character or whatever. Who you are. But I could imagine, I mean, like, are we going to have play sets where they, you know, you can like knock people off of things or or whatever. Yeah. That would be. Yeah. There is definitely awareness because I was, um, we were at an outdoor school event and I was listening to my son, who's in second grade, sort of talk to some of the other kids. And there's the sort of childish aspect of it. There, there's an awareness of it in the part of an ele- of the elementary school brain that um, sort of revels in the taboo. There, there's definitely a, a kind of desire well, heard, to like. I saw a story about like kids are playing the squid game. Yeah, like the actual like playground game. Yeah. And yeah. you're like, mm, I don't know if this is such a good idea. I so, don't know if this was yeah. the plan. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, that's probably, probably uh, more than enough has been said uh, about Squid Game in Great. this audio <laughs> feed recently. And if you haven't heard it yet, you should go and check it out. There's a lot of really interesting context, I thought, uh, provided in that in that episode. 
Um, I watched a movie the other night called Censor, which I want to say was on Hulu that I that just kind of surprised me. And so I wanted to suggest it to horror aficionados who are maybe looking for some last minute Halloween sort of things. If you didn't already have your whole week of media planned out, um, it's censor. So censor is about a lady who, um, works as a censor in England for during sort of the height of the, um, Thatcherite moral panic over uh, horror movies, the video nasties, as they say. And this character, under circumstances that you'll find out if you watch the movie, uh, lost her sister. And I mean, literally lost her, her sister in her when they were kids. Her sister was. Um, Maybe abducted, maybe there was some kind of accident, it's not immediately clear. And then over the course of a day on the job, she sees a film where she could swear that she sees her sister as an adult for the first time, sort of in, in decades, in this movie, in this nasty, you know, quote unquote, uh, a movie. And so she goes off on this search to kind of, it, it becomes this almost kind of pension-esque, like go from place to place and talk to different eccentric people and try to find. Um, but <laughs> the, the, the thing that was most interesting to me is that, um, the sort of censor type characters in the film are portrayed really sympathetically as like, it's not a very punk rock movie at all. It's it's just like these are people who um, genuinely are are working hard to help. They they feel like they're helping, and they really want to help. And the desire to help and change and repair things that it might have been best to leave alone sort of becomes really important once you get to the last half hour or so of the movie, which to some degree it's perhaps become a trope in horror to say, well, it really gets crazy in the last 30 minutes, you know, <laughs> you know, but it really does change. It changes a lot in the last 30 minutes and, and becomes a very sort of like intense and kind of scary movie. Um, there's not much more I can say about it without uh, spoiling it. But for those looking for Halloween viewing, I was originally skeptical because I thought, oh, this is just going to be like a punk sort of movie, which is fine. But it's like, yeah, OK, we get it. Censorship's dumb. Okay. <laughs> but <laughs> like um, it, it ended up being more than that. And uh, and I really, really enjoyed it. But uh, Roger, are you are you going to dress up for Halloween? Now that we did, you Am have. Am I a, gonna dress up? Yeah, did you have a Squid Game? Because we both, like Ed and I, have both <laughs> have both done ours. I have an I alternate know. costume. Yes. I was gonna be like, I uh, had a whole plan with a bunch of friends to be different doctors from Doctor Who, mm. but uh, that plan may fall through. I may just have to be the fourth Doctor by myself, which is a little <laughs> bizarre. <laughs> My costume is loneliness this year. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, oh, so, I don't know. I don't know. Oh, good. Uh, and okay, what's your alternate? Ed? Oh, uh, I'm going out with a couple of friends, and uh, this one friend is going to dress as Cruella, Cruella Deville. Oh, that's good. And then yeah. her 
husband and myself um, are going to wear t-shirts that say, and I don't know why these are made. I actually don't. And I hope it's not some weird cult thing or, you know, alt-right thing, but they just say, imagine I am a Dalmatian. That's literally, (laughs) you can buy them on Amazon. And so both of us are just going to wear, imagine I'm a Dalmatian shirts. And then that's it with with Cruella. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah but originally it was going to be kind of squid gamey or whatever but yeah it's fine i'm i'm just going to count how many there are and we'll see what happens that's a good idea that's a good idea let me know if you see any other fencing masks out there okay i'm sure there'll be tons (laughs) i'm sure there will be tons tons. all the fencers of the world are like finally (laughs) as if there wasn't like just wearing fencing gear wasn't right. already well costume. now it's like it's not just wearing something that you do but you can repurpose it for something else exactly yeah exactly there you go all right well thank you so much everybody who's listened i can't say how much we appreciate your time and attention and thoughtfulness um thank both of you uh ed and roger i thought this was just phenomenal i had an absolute blast excellent excellent thank you thank yes. you for all letting right. me ramble yeah <laughs> no 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 i mean what everyone are... needs that academics need it's like how we get our stress out we need no to it's true that ramble time it's true in. yeah ramble yeah. time it's, it's either way. it's either ramble t- let's see ramble time tetris uh diablo <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> or right. um doom uh, i think right. those, are, yep. those are the four things and there's nothing else i think ramble is probably the best option of those. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>